This is Just a Few Questions. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is Stephen S. Rogers. Stephen Rogers is a retired Harvard Business School professor and also the author of the book, A Letter to My White Friends and Colleagues. How are you, Professor Rogers? Good morning, Mark. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, I was in the library over here, uh, and I just saw your book on the shelf. I said, hey, we got to get Stephen Rogers on the show. So tell us. (laughs) I didn't know the book was out. I just happened to see it. And so tell us, why did Professor Rogers write a a letter to his white friends and colleagues? Mark, thank you very much. Um, I wrote the book um, in response to the murder of George Floyd. That was the catalyst for writing the book. The book came out and was published on May 25th, 2021, the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder. And I wrote the book um, because my daughter, um, 35 years old, after George Floyd was murdered a couple of weeks later, she said, Dad, the black community is hurting. And she said, please talk to the black community as if you were the president. So I created a podcast called Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, and I'm Sad and I'm Angry, at which time I told black people to take care of themselves. I told them to keep marching. I told them also to help white people to help the black community because we can't help ourselves and we can't get ourselves out of this economic malaise by ourselves. So the response to that podcast was overwhelmingly positive. It was targeted to the black audience, but some white folks heard it as well. And they said, thank you very much for helping um, to tell black folks to help us because many black folks were responding to their white friends and colleagues who were asking, what can I do to help? Many black folks were saying, I don't know. I didn't create the problem. You create the problem. And black folks were rightfully annoyed, frustrated. And so I believe, though, it was a teachable moment, that it was a time that we had to actually uh, pursue whites to be our allies, to actually help us. And therefore, we had to teach them how to help us. So in response to that, I wrote the book. And the book was written for the sole purpose of helping white people to help the black community. Uh, Mark, I believe that over 50% of the problems between blacks and whites stems from the economic disparity between blacks and whites. And that economic disparity is one where the average white family has about $170,000 of net worth, assets minus liabilities equals net worth, compared to $17,000 for the average black family. And that we know that, for example, 35% of the black community has zero net worth. So we as a people, Mark, we are an impoverished people financially. And it was done to us intentionally by the federal government and state governments. And the result is that right now our communities are are wrecked with um, crime. They're wrecked with poor health care. But I believe that all of those things are simply symptoms of the real root cause of the problem. And the root cause is that we are financially poor people. As the great scholar W.E.B. Du Bois said, He said, it's horrible to be a a poor uh, person. He said, it's even worse to be a poor race. And we are financially a poor race because it was done to us intentionally that our federal government, with 246 years of slavery, followed by 60 years of black codes, followed by 40 years of redlining, that our federal government intentionally created programs that were designed to enrich white people financially and that were explicitly designed to impoverish black people. So what has happened to us is not because we're bad people. It's not because we don't work hard. It's not because we're not as great savers as whites are. 
It is literally because a subsidy program was created for whites at the expense of blacks. So I wrote this book to to share those facts with whites. And then finally, I wrote it to say explicitly to whites, what can you do? If you have a kind heart and a logical mind as a white person, then I'm asking you privately to do things, and I'm asking you to do things with the government. Those three things that I'm asking you to do privately are, one, to share your wealth, to spend at least 8.46% of your annual budget with black-owned businesses, because black-owned businesses are the largest employers of black people in the country. So I'm asking white people to spend at least 8.46%. And 8.46% represents the time that Officer Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck. And so I'm asking people uh, to spend at least 8.46% of their annual budget with black-owned businesses. Mark, I spend at least 40% of my annual budget with black-owned businesses. I go to a black dermatology firm, black dental firm, black law firm. Um, And so... That money goes into the black community as a result of that. Secondly, I'm asking them to deposit at least 8.46% of their annual savings into black-owned banks, because what we know is black-owned banks send money to the black community. Over 70% of all mortgages given by black-owned banks go to black people, compared to less than half a percent of mortgages given by by white banks. Number three, I'm asking white people to donate at least 8.46% of their annual philanthropic dollars with HB, to HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. Because these colleges, in the words of Hannah, um, Hannah Jones, um, the great Pulitzer Prize writer for the New York Times who is now going to Harvard, Howard University, she said, HBCUs have historically punched above their weight class, meaning they've done Herculean, uh, Herculean tasks by graduating black people who come from primarily impoverished, financially impoverished black communities. We know that um, over 70% of students at HBCUs um, qualify for Pell Grants, where it's less than 30% of students at predominantly white universities that qualify for Pell Grants. So Pell Grant qualifications means that the household makes at least $25,000, excuse me, no more than $25,000 a year in households. So HBCUs are educating black folks who come from impoverished communities, and the average endowment of an HBCU is just a mere $12 million. But HBCUs have done a phenomenal job. Um, We know that 80% of all black lawyers today, excuse me, 80% of all black judges today attended an HBCU, that 50% of all black lawyers attended an HBCU, 40% of all black engineers attended an HBCU. There's 101 HBCUs, 300,000 black students attend those schools, and we need those schools to continue to be financed. And therefore, I'm asking people to follow in the footsteps of the co-founder of Amazon.com, Mackenzie Scott, the white woman, who last year donated over $540 million to HBCUs. And so those are the three things that I'm asking whites to do uh, personally, on a personal level. On a public level, I'm asking them, to write a letter to their congressman or congresswoman asking that the federal government um, consider and give reparations uh, to black citizens who are descendants of those who were enslaved for 246 years. And in my book, A Letter to My White Friends and Colleagues, What You Can Do Now to Help the Black Community, I actually give a sample letter, a template that people can use to send to uh, their congressman or congresswoman asking for those reparations. 
And we're deserving of those reparations um, because it is a means to right a wrong that was done intentionally to us as people. Um, the federal government has never given any kind of reparations of any kind to black Americans. There's precedent for them giving reparations. Um, and that includes, for example, um, when Japanese Americans were interned for three years during the Second World War. The federal government, under the Reagan administration, real, agreed that some, that was an egregious act, uh, that it was not done to uh, Jap uh, it was not done to Italian Americans or German Americans, two other countries that we were fighting during the Second World War. Um, but Japanese Americans, 120,000 of them, were interned, basically in prison for three years because it was felt that because we were fighting Japan that they would not be loyal to America. But 80,000 of those Japanese Americans ended up receiving a check for $20,000 each from our federal government as reparations for a wrong that was done to them. Um, we also see reparations being given, for example, during slavery, and that is, excuse me, after slavery. And what we know is over 900 white slave owners received reparations from the federal government for the loss of their enslaved black people to the tune of $300 per black person that they had been enslaving, that they now lost as a result of the passage of the 13th Amendment. So there's precedent for America to give reparations, but reparations have never been given to black people. The only time that there was an effort to give black people reparations was um, after the Emancipation Proclamation, General William Sherman was marching with his troops through Savannah, Georgia, and um, they were beating, defeating the Confederates. And as they were marching through Savannah, Georgia, defeating the Confederates, blacks were leaving the plantations, formerly enslaved people, leaving the plantations following General Sherman and the Union troops. Um, and then General Sherman took note of that, and he sent the letter to President Lincoln. And he said to President Lincoln, he said, what should I do with these people? They're following us. He said, they're not causing any problem, but what should I do with them? President Lincoln sent the letter back saying, ask the Negroes, what do they want? So General Sherman met with 20 black clergymen, some of them formerly enslaved people. He met with them at a five-star hotel in Savannah, Georgia. And he asked them, what do you want when you're free? It was unanimous. They said, we want land. We want land to take care of ourselves. He said, do you want land amongst whites or do you want it separately? This was not unanimous, but there was a majority that said we would prefer to have land separate from whites because we cannot trust whites to ever treat us right. Um, so that meeting led to Special Order Number 15 that General Sherman wrote up and implemented. And special Order Number 15 was a government mandate that said the government was going to take 400,000 acres from former Confederate soldiers who were now being tried to treason, and they were going to give it to black people, black families, in lots of 40 acres. And uh, it got implemented, and 40,000 acres had been given to black people, and then President Lincoln gets murdered. And after he got murdered, his vice president took over, who was a former slave owner himself, and he said it's unfair to white people to give black people land for free. He said these Negroes should work for what they get. So he rescinded the order. He took back the 40,000 shares, I mean 40,000 acres, and he gave it back to the Confederates, who they now were no longer being tried for treason. They just simply had to apologize for what they had done, and he gave them their land back. So there's never been an instance where uh, black people have received anything for the wrongs that have been done to us that was sanctioned 
by our federal government and our state government. So that last action that I'm asking whites to in, in, indulge in, and that is write a letter to your congresspeople saying black people need to be recompensated or compensated for what was done. I'll close with this, Mark, and that is this mantle about reparations has just been uh, embraced by the president of the MacArthur Foundation, um, you know, the foundation that gives the MacArthur Genius Awards. Uh, it's headquartered here in Chicago. And the new president of the foundation last week to a Chicago business uh, club gave a presentation saying that he supports and the MacArthur Foundation supports reparations to be given to black people. Uh, Professor Rogers, I, this is why I love having professors on the show. I ask them one question and they go straight into the <laughs> dissertation. Can I have can I have you back? So we got to do a part two. Can I have you back uh, soon with your permission? It would be my absolute pleasure. Um, I enjoy uh, informing and educating. Um, it is imperative that we learn the truth about what happened to us. It's imperative that whites learn the truth about what happened. Um, and many of my white colleagues, for example, as a result of reading my book, they said, for example, with redlining, when the federal government um, said that black people could not get mortgage guarantees, but white people could. Many of my white colleagues and friends said, I never knew. So they said, I knew about redlining, but I thought it was the banks that were doing it. I never knew it was a mandate by the federal government. So it would be my absolute pleasure um, to speak to you again. And um, I want to educate, and that's what uh, my life is dedicated to. You know, I'll close with this. I'm a race man, uh, Mark, an old school vernacular a race man or race woman is a black person who is dedicated, not just a black person, but a person who is dedicated to the uplifting and the improvement of the uh, impoverished black community. And that's what my life is dedicated to.